0: Greetings, Voyagers. Welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. This is episode number 258. And for this episode, I drove out to Orient, New York. Don't know where it is? Well, it's probably because there's not too many people that live there. It's pretty much as far as you can go on the North Fork of Long Island before you end up in the Atlantic Ocean. In the summertime, it's a lot busier. There's vineyards, there's farmland, uh, a lot of like events happen out there, weddings and things like that. And it's beautiful. There's some beaches. So normally it's about three-hour drive from where I am in Brooklyn. But in the winter, in low season, nice two-hour drive. There's some snow on the ground. It's beautiful out there. In fact, I would recommend going to, to the North Fork or the South Fork in the winter because there's far fewer crowds. There's pretty much no one out there. And it's still really beautiful, especially when there's snow. So Mary lives out there, and that's where she grew up. Uh, and in 2016, she took a voyage of her own that ended up being about three years long. Her mother had passed away from cancer, and so Mary took her mom's Subaru, and she went out on a solo venture across all 50 states in the United States seeking stories about people doing good. And her, her trip is called More Good. You can check All of it out on moregood.today. I'll link to that in the show notes. But she did it, and she did it solo. She stayed at over 150 people's houses. She didn't stay at hotels or anything like that. Uh, Just used the goodwill of people across the country. And she compiled stories for three years. That is really crazy and really admirable and really cool. So I wanted to pick her brain about that, hear about some of these stories, and hear about her adventures across the country. Her voyage is going to come out in in two forms. There's going to be a book that she puts into hospitals and that is the stories of good for for people who really need it during hard times um, for kids and and adults too, I believe, in hospitals. And then she's also going to have a memoir of sorts uh, that tells the story of her adventures across the country and the people that she met and the places she stayed, which I could totally see becoming a movie someday. And I I hope something like that happens for her. So again, go to the show notes and I'll have links to all her stuff. She's got videos, she's got pictures. I really like her Instagram account because she writes these really cool stories which are like half interview, half narrative about the people that she met and their unique stories of both pain and about good because oftentimes uh, when people are doing good for us it's because we're, we're at a low point um, we've had loss, we've had failure, we've had something happen. So uh, that's often when when people come in and shine a light and and help us out. So hopefully you can connect with some of her stuff, but at the very least maybe you'll you'll feel inspired to either travel yourself or to help out a traveler who's on the road or to do something good for something else for someone else. Because I certainly feel that way checking out her stuff, and I felt that way interviewing her. And I got to think about this on the two-hour drive home. So really cool stuff. Go check her out. Go to the show notes also for a link to my Patreon account and you can get some cool kickbacks like stickers and shirts, postcards, books sometimes from my guests. So maybe when Mary's book comes out, that will be a gift for Patreon supporters. Uh, If you can't, you know, give monetarily. I know things are weird, times are tough. Um, Just word of mouth goes a long way. And if you could, a rating and review on iTunes goes a really long way. You know all about algorithms. You know when you click on a podcast and it says, "If you liked this one, check out these." Uh, those rating and reviews apparently helped me to get put on more of those lists. Those you should check this one out type of list. So that would be super awesome of you if you could do that. All right, voyagers, check out this conversation with Mary Latham. Well, first of all, like I was saying uh, before I hit record here, thank you. I'm very fortunate that I get to be in people's spaces, which you are very familiar with. Um, I think like we were saying, it really adds a lot to the experience of the conversation, but it also adds a lot to my own personal story. And uh, I'm, I'm quite fortunate for being able to do that. So thank you for, for saying yes and for having me in your home.
1: Yeah, thanks for finding me.
0: So we are in Orient, Orient Point,
1: uh, Orient, New York.
0: Okay, yeah. A Look, little
1: further is the point.
0: <laughs> okay, when I was a kid I would go to like Boy Scout camp and we would have to take the ferry from Orient Point and like mm-hmm. that's my reference point for being as far north and east as you can possibly be uh, in New York. So you grew up around here. hmm And it was a good place to grow up?
1: Yeah, I feel very lucky that I grew up huh. here. It was very small town feeling and like, you know, the class sizes were really small. You really got to know your teachers, um, you know, It it was
0: just, it was nice. Mm. Yeah, I think, and I mean, you answered this, but living in the city as as you have as well, I think sometimes people forget living in the city, that not everybody lives in a city. Um, And I think being out here, because I used to go to Montauk a lot, um, it gives you a, a, a perspective that's a little bit more how most of the country lives than how people are living in cities. I don't know if you found that.
1: Yeah, I think it was kind of like one of those feelings where you're in the city, you're surrounded by people, but you feel so lonely kind Mm. of feeling. Like it's just like it's very isolating, like you're living, you know, inches away. Your bed could be inches away from um, on the other side of the wall, the other person's bed, and you don't even know their name Mm. (laughs) or anything about them. Um, and so I feel like out here it's like nice, like, you know, your neighbors know that like if I had an emergency, I could call them and they could like run up to my apartment and, you know, unplug my straightener <laughs> or whatever is going on if I'm not at my apartment. Um, and it's just nice to have that feeling of like trusting the people around you and knowing them.
0: Yeah, it's community, right? Mm-hmm. It, 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 that is very strange because I've talked to a lot of people in the city and that is the consensus that there is a feeling of loneliness, of a lack of community, despite the fact that there's so many people. It's yeah. weird, Yeah. Um, did travel factor into your life at all when you were young?
1: Um, not as much really, honestly. I, um, we had like a couple family trips. We went, you know, to, um, Florida when I was younger, never Disney World. I was always bitter mm. about that, <laughs> but we did get to Florida. Um, and we, um, visited relatives in California once, mostly any journeys that we did were like New England. So it was very close, um, by and just always the East coast. So mm. I hadn't really had that much travel under my belt before I did my journey.
0: Yeah, I think I was quite similar in that aspect that we went to Virginia and we went to Florida to visit people, but I never left the country really um, or really started seeing the world until like late 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's interesting. Uh, were you getting interested in photography at a young age and, and arts? or?
1: Um, yeah, actually I got super into photography. Um Well, weddings specifically when I went, we went to visit family in California and Mm. it was like second cousins and they had the most beautiful wedding. And I remember I was taking photos just for fun with my, um, film camera. I was taking a film class in school and, um, and so I had taken one photo and I didn't realize at the time, but it was all the bridal party. They were kind of like all lined up and the father was giving a speech and they all had their champagne and martinis and they were all like absolutely beautiful people. Mm. <laughs> and um, and the father standing in the middle of the dance floor telling this story about his daughter and it was just so beautiful and people were crying. And then all of a sudden at the very end of the speech, he cracked a joke and everyone just started like, you know, it was the cheers moment too. So they're starting to cheers and their heads are thrown back laughing. And it's just this like beautiful, like great Gatsby looking moment uh, in black and white in this film photo. I um, And I'm watching it develop and... When I looked at the end, the bride right in the middle of the line of people was still in that moment from before. So it was like right before she transitioned. So she was wiping tears away and everyone around her is exploding in happiness. So it was just such a cool moment. I was like, oh, that's I didn't know I caught it till I got home and developed it. And um, it just got me really interested in like people and not just like the posed regular photos that you get at a wedding mm. but also like the weird connections like what you know the french teacher that they invited and make sure you get that photo with them or just like these special little moments
0: oh, that's um, cool and yeah. you have a lot of access to like the environment for weddings and things like that out here right because a lot of people come yeah out. there's
1: a ton of weddings out here and i've been yeah. very fortunate a lot of like you know local families and then you know you'll shoot a brother's wedding and then his sister gets married mm. and you shoot that wedding too so i've been to one wedding where I looked around and realized there was 10 couples um, that I had photographed their weddings all at the wedding. Mm. So I don't know how I was able to do it, but I kind of jokingly said before we're going in for the reception, like, oh, if you guys are all over there, we can get a picture. And my assistant got a photo of me with all the couples lined up. And so that was really cool. Oh. So when that kind of thing happens, you realize, like, yeah, everyone's just very connected out here. I've never had to really do any marketing. I just, it's word of mouth because Interesting. it's so small.
0: So maybe that's even where you started to get the ability to sort of find stories and make connections with with people.
1: Yeah, it was very important for me to tell more of the story. Like when I first started out it was like there's a picture of a beautiful couple kissing on a beach, but mm. like you don't know anything about them. And I had a very close friend from college who Um, met her husband at one of our other friends' weddings and kind of jokingly you know, picked him out of the groomsmen list and was like, that one's mine. And we were like, I don't think that's how it works. (laughs) But she was determined and um, they ended up dating and he was seeing someone else at the time. Like he ended that, they started long distance talking, then he got deployed and they were only together, I think for like six months at that time. And a lot of it was over the phone. They had visited each other maybe two or three times. And while he was deployed, um, he actually was with three other guys and two dogs, I think, and they got blown up. Oh, and God. he was the only one that survived. And he lost his eye and was, like, in the hospital in Germany for a really long time. Then he came here and was at Walter Reed for a really long time. She quit her job in Massachusetts, moved in, basically, the hospital. He got out on Christmas Eve and proposed to her. And they have two kids now. Wow. Up in New Hampshire. Um, so their story, to me, impacted me so much mm. because it was like there's – you know, people standing on a beach from far away, you just see two people kissing like, oh, good for them. They have, they found happiness, but like, you don't know that story. Mm. And so it was so important for me to tell their story. And it, other people before that also had really inspired it, but they really impacted me because it's just like, you never know.
0: Wow. Yeah. And everybody, like, I'm sure, and we'll get into it more, but I'm sure you've gleamed this through your travels and the experience that we're about to get into. But everybody's got something like everybody has a story. Everybody has some type of pain that they've experienced or loss or failure or something that they've overcome. So, um, that's what's, that's what I love best about doing this is when I reach out to somebody who doesn't think they have a story or they're they're like, well, why would you pick me? Right. I'm like, well, I'm so interested in the unique thing about you. Um, there's so many other people in this country and in the world that would be interested in that unique thing about you because it's unique for you. It's your story. Right. Um, Yeah. 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 I was listening when you were talking
1: um, in Florida in your last interview. And yeah, I feel like you had mentioned at one point, like just like the concept of talking to all these people, it just kind of like in a way unifies us more really because you're, you're putting these stories out there. And if we, gave people a little bit more time and listened to their stories and stayed a little bit more curious, as Ted Lasso, my idol, would Oh, say, nice. <laughs> um, then, you know, it does take that divide away a little bit more because it doesn't matter the political views or the religious views or any of that other stuff. At the end of the day, <laughs> none of that matters. It's like at all those moments, like 9-11 or something like that, like right in the moments after that happened, nothing, we weren't like, oh, excuse me, who did you vote for? As we're pulling them out of the ash, like you're just helping and you're just being there for people, and that's really where we should kind of get back to.
0: Yeah, what's what was, I'm trying to figure out the words to, how to say this, but probably if you looked at it politically, I was so different from that guest, even in a sense, like, I had very strong personally held beliefs that go against, like, things he was telling me that weren't on recording. And even being in the home, like, at first I, I did feel a little uncomfortable because they were... There was a discussion taking place that I just completely didn't agree with, but sort of like you were saying, I thought it was still important that that can exist and we can still find common ground somewhere and still be respectful and, and nice to each other and even leave maybe still having like diametrically opposed views about the world, um, but we can do so in in a civil way.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely experienced that a lot of my journey too, where you would find moments where you're like what you Mm -mm. think what but you just push it aside I mean I was very careful to never talk about politics um, on my trip and honestly I think it was like a breath of fresh air for people that I wasn't connected to politics and that they didn't think to bring it up and want to bring it up we Mm -hmm. talked about so many other things that it was like so such a relief Mm. so that makes sense yeah and then it you know saves you from any awkward moments or conversations yeah
0: (laughs) The Gratitude Project predated the trip that we're alluding to, right? Uh, Yeah. So that was kind of like the beginning of it
1: was, um, it kind of morphed into it. Okay. It's essentially the same thing. Um, The Gratitude Project, I started with a friend in New York City when I was living there um, named Laura. And we kind of just came up with this idea because um, of a moment that happened when I was at work on the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting. So I had gone into work that day. worked at a law firm. Oh my god! I was not working at San Diego. Okay, okay. I I was working at a law firm, Um, but I was working as assistant to the online manager. So it was one of those jobs where, like, it was health insurance, Mm. (laughs) and like, you know, I could just scrape by my rent. Um, And so I had gone to work that morning, and I had opened my computer, and it was all the information about the shooting, and it was just happened. It was like nine a.m. on Friday, December fourteenth, and. I remember being in shock, like I think we all were, but I just remember like scrolling through hitting refresh. He was an active shooter still and it was just so scary and I was babysitting that night for a Mm six-year-old and like there's the age group that's getting shot up right now. And and so I just remember being really freaked out by it and as I was sitting there, uh, one of the guys I worked with walked by my desk and he had his coffee from Starbucks and was like, oh, you should have come today because usually once a week I'd go with him. And I was like, yeah, no, couldn't afford it, and kind of ignored him and was just staring at the screen. And he was like, no, it was actually free. And I was like, what are you talking about? Hmm. And it's like, still 9 o'clock, he doesn't even know a shooting just happened, I'm staring at the news, and I finally was like, what? What, what do you mean it's free? And he said, yeah, there was a guy in earlier buying gift cards, because it was right before Christmas, and he was buying a ton of gift cards for employees and customers, and just bought an extra one for 100 bucks and said, run it out on this line behind me. Mm. So the kid I worked with um, got a free coffee and he had had such a hard year. His wife had just left him. His mom had passed away recently from cancer. He had back surgery coming. Like it was just like not his year. And he was like a very optimistic person, but he had been down. And in that moment, I remember like he was glowing about this free coffee mm. and it was just so cool. And he left my desk and I called my mom. I would call her every morning um, cause she had, her cancer had come back and she wasn't doing well. And I told her the quick little story and then I quickly shot over to the shooting. So we grew up out here with no television. (laughs) And so I knew she didn't know what was going on. So I called her and I told her all the details and it's still going on and how could this happen and the world is horrible and how is there so much bad out there? And I just was going on and on this rant and how will I babysit tonight without crying on this child? And my mom was like, Mary, you got to focus on that coffee story you told me before. Hmm. And I was like, what? (laughs) And she was like, there's always going to be tragedies and horrible things that will inevitably happen in our lives and in the world, but there will always be more good out there if you look for it. Um, so, you know, I, I got off the phone with her that day and um, the following night I was with my friend Laura and we were talking and I told her the story and I was like, you know... I keep trying, like I feel like there's like little moments like that out there, um, like the coffee guy. And I just wonder like maybe we should start collecting them. Like maybe that wouldn't cheer us up because things were just bad. She had gone through a horrible breakup. I was really scared for my mom and her diagnosis. And I was like, maybe this would be a good distraction. And and she was the one, she said, yeah, I always wanted to do something positive. I didn't know what, but I wanted to call it like gratitude with two Ts, like attitude. Mm. Um, And as we're sitting there talking this idea out over a cocktail, of course, um, my roommate texted me. And was like, you're not going to believe this, but last night I went to happy hour with my coworkers and was overserved, And I left my phone in the cab, and ap- apparently a man got in after, found it, it was dead, charged it, used the Surrey button to call yeah. the last contact, and that was her dad, and just delivered it to our uh, apartment. Because <laughs> the dad said she lives on, you know, 1425 25 Avenue. That is cabinet. very rare. <laughs> I know. And I was like, this doesn't happen, let alone in New York uh. City. Um, But for that to happen in that moment, during that conversation, I was like, this is, there's stuff out there. Like, we got to dig it up. So we decided to start this project and we launched on Valentine's Day um, of 2013. Um, So it was like a couple, you know, months, two months after the Sandy Hook and that whole experience. And I made a website and I told people what I was doing and any stories, send them in. And so it started strong, like people sent a bunch of stuff in. Um, I'd post every day, Monday through Friday and then February 25th. So, you know, 11 days after this launches, my mom went into the city for surgery and something went wrong. And it was that week that she, um, passed at the end of the week. And I didn't think about the project at all. I was like, are you kidding? Like (laughs) nothing, nothing positive, nothing good is going on. And, um, I did have to tell my job. So I had you know, my nine to five, but I also babysat for a family and did some dog sitting and, you know, all the odd end jobs you get in New York to live in New York. And so I went into my personal email to just let them know. And someone had sent me a story because they didn't know the the project email address. And I opened it, not thinking, I was just like, what is this? And I read it and I just like lost it. And then I shared it with my family and they were all crying. And it was just this really beautiful story of kindness that someone had done for this girl And the girl had lost both of her parents Mm. in her life already. And so to read it and know what she had gone through and see her still focusing on the good while we're all sitting in a hospital waiting room, waiting because they just said, you know, it's hours or days at this point, um, was like this little shred of hope pretty much during that. So that's kind of where the project morphed into something bigger. After I got out of the hospital and going through the next few months was horrible and stories weren't really coming in. And so... Instead of getting discouraged, um, I just decided to change it and go out and find the stories myself instead of waiting for them to arrive into my inbox. Um, and that was, you know, how more good was kind of born. I decided I would take her car. I would go to every single state. I would find as many stories as I could as one person (laughs) by themselves with no sponsorship. And, um, and then I would put them all in a book and put them in hospital waiting rooms for people to have something to read.
0: <laughs> okay, I'm going to dive into a lot of that. Um, the <laughs> gratitude project stuff that still exists out there, right? There's a yeah, just because Facebook? I don't
1: know technology technology very well. So, like on Facebook, when you look it up, I think it still says gratitude project, but it's called More Good Today. Okay, so but it's so. all one and the same. It's the same exact thing, and it's me <laughs> getting okay. the emails. So,
0: um, my partner just lost her father like very unexpectedly in October so I'm sure you've in your travels uh, heard many similar such stories Um, but it was sort of the first time that I had experienced something like that as well Mm -hmm. I have both of my parents um, and step parents but it was quite shocking and like I said sudden and it was a situation where like we saw it like we were at the hospital and everything so it, I did notice and feel, and still feel there's this sort of well, like, what now? Yeah. Um, how do I fill the void? What do I do? Was part of doing this trip like a healing process for yourself as well?
1: Um, you know, it was interesting. I think in the end, it did, mm. but I feel like, um, To your point about, you know, obviously I I heard these stories a lot. I would say that 95% of the stories I collected were shrouded in this tragedy Mm. or death that had happened. Um, That changed their life in some way and created the nonprofit they started or whatever story that happened, or the reason they were so impacted by the kindness was because they were going through something and someone helped them. And that's why they remember it so vividly. Cause it was such a dark time that you do remember that little like flicker of light that comes in. Um, so I think that the heaviness and the weight of taking all those stories and, um, without being a licensed therapist and not objective and just kind of mm. taking it all in, um, was really challenging. Um, I have a serious empathy <laughs> problem, if you will. It's almost detrimental because I, I have a hard time separating. Like I think that, oh, for, that makes them you know, it was just very, um, challenging because like I said earlier, when I was telling you about that, the little boy with cancer, you know, I put out this beautiful picture. Um, his story was that he, uh, he had been diagnosed with cancer when he was younger, and I think he was about seven or six at the time. And when he went into remission, his mom said, you know, how do you want to celebrate? What do you want to do? We could go to Disney World. We could go to Chuck E. Cheese every Friday. Like, we, could, you know, what do you want to do? And he said, I just want to, like, collect as many toys as I can so I can, like, deliver them to all the kids still stuck at the hospital. And mm. he's like, seven. <laughs> and so it's, like, so beautiful. And, you know, he dressed up like... he. He did a toy drive, he got hundreds of toys, and he dressed up like Captain America, and he um, delivered all the toys. So when I went to their home, you know, he put his Captain America outfit on, he's, like, standing on the street saluting me, and it's this adorable picture and this adorable little paragraph of a story. But for me, it was hours in a home with this family and seeing, you know, this single mother and how she lives her life and and the little brother and just, like, the behind the scenes, and and it does, it like, it's so you leave there and it doesn't leave you. <laughs> You're like mm. thinking about them and wondering how they're doing and like, you know, um and so I feel like that aspect of it was really challenging. I met a woman towards the last year of my trip in St. Louis. That was a funeral director and she was super young and you know, had this, like bouncy blonde woman just like so cheerful and I remember at one point talking to her and asking her I was like how do you do this? Like she had had a a funeral for a child that morning that she had to like direct. And I was like, how do you do this and like stay (laughs) optimistic looking or just like, you know, and she said, I imagine a river between me and the people. So like they can tell me their pain and I can listen and I can give them suggestions on how to cope and stuff. But, it's not my pain to take on. Like I am i can't cross the river. Mm. And I'm thinking like, oh my God. Meanwhile, I got like bowling balls on both ankles, and I'm like jumping in that <laughs> river. I'm like, I'll save you. We're both drowning. So yeah, it's terrible. So I've tried to keep that in mind. Um, I actually had a friend make me a little writing desk, which isn't here right now, but, and it has a river in the middle of it. Aww. It's like an epoxy river yeah. desk, you know? And so my computer will be on the other side of it and I'll write and hopefully, you know, keep that separation. But it was really hard. So I think when I got off the road three years later, I was really broken down. I mean, it was the best thing I've ever done in my life and I'm so proud of the work and I'm inspired by the people in our country, but I was hurting. Mm. I mean, it like emotionally drained me physically from sitting in a car for three years with my legs. I have Lyme disease. Like it was just like, I I would say that like healing wasn't. isn't the first word I always come up with, mm. but in a way it did, it does, because whenever you're going through something and you see what other people are going through, it, it definitely doesn't make your problems any um, less important, but it just, it really hits you in the face with some serious perspective. So mm. that helps kind of move forward.
0: You know, eventually your project gained attention and press and notoriety, but in those Early days when like, early like days the day- first two years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, but so yeah, exactly that. Like when you first started out, um, how were you making connections? Were there days you had to sleep in your car or had to get like a motel or something? Um,
1: so that part, no, I never had to. I was oh. concerned in the beginning that I would be sleeping in my car and never know where to do laundry, um, and have issues like that, and um, be eating granola bars every two minutes. And I thought my inbox would just be full of stories. And it was the reverse. I always had people opening a door to me um, and feeding me some kind of massive dish meant for like, you know, a group of guys before their wrestling match in high school. Um, So people were constantly putting food um, and trying to help me. But the stories were really hard to come by. So like digging up the stories and um, like you said earlier, like people don't think their story matters. And it's not big enough and it's not important enough. You know, you would put one story out about a kidney donor and then they'd get, you know, spooked and not want to share their little story of someone buying breakfast for them. And, you know, I always tried to say like every story is important. It matters. And especially the smaller stories, because one of my stories that impacted me the most of the whole trip was a woman in, um, she had reached out to me when I was in Rhode Island and she had worked on Block Island for a Mm -hmm. summer and she was a bank teller. And, she was like, I don't know, in her late 20s or something. And another person came in and they were taking money out and they looked at her and said, are you okay? Because she you know, was having a bad, she said she was having a rough day and it was visible on her face. And she was super embarrassed. So she was like, oh, y- yep, yeah, no, I'm fine. Like nothing, some M&Ms won't fix later or something. And they laughed and the woman laughed. And then 30 minutes later, that same woman came back in and slid a bag of M&Ms under her window and walked out. And she like never saw her again. And it was just this tiny little thing. And, you know, in the beginning of my trip, I was like, maybe she stubbed her toe on the way to work or her boyfriend broke up with her. Like, you think these little things, why was she having a bad day? After the trip was over, I was like, maybe her uncle died in a car crash that day or like, you know, so, or she di- was diagnosed with cancer recently or you just don't know. And so for her to reach out to me 30 years later and tell me that story, she's told her kids and her grandkids never forgot it, like, and it's a bag of M&Ms. And Mm. so I feel like telling those stories is so much more important almost because they're doable and, like, you know, we can do that. Like, someone, like, tells me they donate a kidney. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so scared of hospitals. I can't even imagine you, like, spiral and don't even think of it. But, like, buying a bag of M&Ms, you know, we can all do that. Mm. So it's important
0: to kind of share that story. Were you recording audio or were you, like, typing away while people talked to you?
1: I No, I would do audio. Okay. Um... And yeah, so I mostly did all audio and then I would photograph the people um, before I left. And so um, people had said in the beginning, like, oh, you should have done video or this. It should have been a documentary. But um, it was really important for me not to do that, especially when like my second story was a woman who had just lost her husband and Mm -hmm. she was 40 and they had three little girls. And it was like the love of her life. And she just sat in an ICU for the last four months. And she was telling me about the nurse that would bring in her favorite dinner on Fridays, and like how kind she was. And I'm like, you buried your husband like a month ago. Like it was crazy to me that she was like willing to sit with a total stranger and talk about the kindness she remembered when it was so recent. But um, but I remember when I asked her, I said, do you care if I take like a little video footage of us starting to talk? And she totally changed and like clammed up. And I was like, you know what? No, actually, no, I'm not going to do video today. And, and I never did video again. Because I was like, I don't want to make anyone feel like that. Mm. Like it was just so like they were letting you into their stories and like being so vulnerable with you, and I just felt like it wasn't fair to put that on film.
0: No, I totally get that. I even get that. I mean, I'm not always covering heavy topics, but I even get that. With when I hit record, sometimes people's their their mannerisms, their entire personality changes because like they get super nervous because like now it's real, right? (laughs) Right. Yeah, I know. Now we're documenting it, (laughs) but there's also sort of like. The flip side of that were when I've traveled, let me try to give a good example. So when I came out here, all you know of me is is what I've told you. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's actually like one of the reasons I love to travel and meet new people while I'm traveling because like you're totally a blank slate, right? Like I've fucked up plenty of times in my life. I've done stupid things. I've done bad things. We all do as we like constantly evolve into hopefully like Better and better versions of ourselves, um, but when you meet someone, they don't know any of those things about you. Right. So I actually was sort of assuming that people maybe would have been telling you things quite easily because you're somebody that's willing to listen that doesn't know, you know, yeah. the shadow part of them or whatever.
1: Exactly, and yeah. you're and you're transient. Like you're here, but yeah. then you're gone, so they don't have to like worry, you know, mm. about oh, well, they might tell this person or that person. I don't know anybody in your life, you know? So there was definitely a comfort in that and
0: knowing that in a few days I'd be gone. Did you have a mission statement? Not a mission statement, that sounds so stupid. Did you have um, a plan outside of recording stories? Like, did you say to yourself, okay, I'm going to be in South Dakota I need to also experience South Dakota, see the culture, the way of life. like what were you doing outside of recording stories?
1: Um, so I was doing whatever my hosts were doing usually. so uh. the stories weren't just the people I stayed with. I was also, you know, always trying to connect uh. with um, as many stories in a community as I could. But inevitably, the people I stayed with, who I always said, "You're just shelter," and then they'd feed me a meal. they have they would always have stories too. but um. It'll be interesting. It's really two books. You know, the book for the hospital waiting rooms will be short, happy stories. People can just open to a page and read or get inspired. Um, And my book will be my whole journey and Mm. all the people I stayed with and all those other little, you know, moments. And um, I feel that, I felt that on the trip, the most important person um, part, sorry, was the people, like just connecting with the people. Um, I actually met a woman in Wisconsin and I remember we were talking and she is battling her third time with cancer. She's 40 and she's had cancer three times in her life, pretty much most of her life at this point. and And um, was just like an extraordinary person. Um, and we were talking and she asked me, she said, you know, so where was the best food or like? Did you have any like little things that you noticed in certain places? And like, of course, yes. Like, shockingly, I liked alligator sausage in you know mm. n- New Orleans. But um, or like little things that you would try that you're because your hosts introduced them to you. Um, but I was like, honestly, I really didn't try. Like, I wasn't able to like get the best ice cream in every city or like do this or do that. I was just with the people. And she said, "Yeah, you're kind, you're like a tourist of humanity." And I was like, "Oh, I really like that. Mm. I'm like, that's a good t-shirt." <laughs> um, but that's what I felt like. It was just meeting the people of the country. And um, I didn't get to know all the details about a place necessarily. It was very um, important for me to try different places because I grew up here, and when people hear Long Island, they're like, Long Island? Mm. <laughs> and they think it's like right outside of the city by you know a few minutes, and New York is all New York City and it, there's upstate New York and there's out here and then there's in the city and it's like different countries within a state. Totally. And so it was important for me to like stop in a couple different places in every state, not just like the main city. I would try to go to a small town also and so just get like a good feel for the different types of living in the state but not necessarily getting to see all those other parts. But I will say, because you just made me think of it and it's so funny and I should probably be writing these things down because my brain is so scattered. You like get triggered by a thought and suddenly remember something from, you know, three years of things to remember. Um, I met a person who was talking when you said the mission statement. Um, He had started helping with the water crisis in um, Flint, Michigan. Mm -hmm. And Red Cross, I believe when they were helping, they couldn't like go into the people's homes. And a lot of the people that were affected weren't able to read or like they couldn't figure out how to actually put, like they were just dropping stuff off to their doors and they couldn't actually set it up. Mm. And so he created a little nonprofit and, you know, it was like some college students and like retired policemen and, um, you know, retired nurses. And they were going into the homes and really setting up the filters and stuff like that to help these people. And one day one of the, um, college girls was, had gotten into a home and it was a, um, 50 year old blind man. And, um, and she had walked into the home and was helping him set it up. And then as she was leaving, she said, is there anything else I can do for you? You know, that like, as we say that as we're one foot out the door. And, um, and he said, you know, I'd really like a ripe red, some ripe red tomatoes. (laughs) And she was like, what? And so she had called this guy who I'm now interviewing. And she said, you know, I got on the phone with her and she was like, um, you know, I'm really sorry, but I, I actually like, I, I just didn't know what to do. I went right to the store and got him some ripe bread tomatoes. Like I felt like I had to, and I delivered them, but like, you know, I'm happy to reimburse, like it was $5 or whatever. She didn't have any money. Um, so she had used the money from the nonprofit. She's like, I'm happy to reimburse you with that money. And, and he said, no, 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 it's fine. It's just a mission drift. And I was like, what's a mission drift? Uh And he was like, Basically, you have as a nonprofit, like usually it's a really negative term because you have this mission statement. And when you start swaying away from it, it's called a mission drift. Um, He said, but in certain times, like in life and with certain missions, like a mission drift is a good thing. And I was like, my whole trip has been a mission drift. (laughs) I started off with this idea and now I'm left and right and sitting with an old woman dying in a hospital holding her hand. And it's like, is she giving me a story? No, but am I providing more good? Yes. So how much are we really drifting off of the mission? So it definitely spanned into a whole a bunch of things. Like I started mm. talking to high schools and, you know, it just, it it grew into something bigger, but the basis was always just kind of trying to share as much good as I could find.
0: <laughs> I relate to something greatly that you said in there. When I first, I, I've, I've probably expressed this on here before, so uh sorry if I have, but when I first started doing this, I would tell travel stories. Like I had no credibility in terms of trying to interview people yet because I had three episodes, right? Now I'm like, hey, I've got 250 and these are all the people, maybe you know some of them. So I was just telling stories and to get people interested, they're like the most sensationalized things that you experience. So yeah, it would be food that people would find unique or interesting or Mm -hmm. bizarre or whatever, or like times I got hurt because that's, constantly happening while I'm traveling. <laughs> um, but in reality, the, the things that I liked best were like the unsexiest of stories. It was quite literally like this time I was in Vietnam and I was in a park and there was a college student and the only common language we had was my like incredibly rudimentary German and her very strong German, even though she was Vietnamese, because she was studying at school and we were like talking in German in a park and just like talking about life. Or like you've experienced over and over on your trip, like being invited into someone's home for a meal or for a coffee or for a conversation, that's like incredibly intimate to like be in somebody's like safe space area or whatever. Uh, And that always that meant more to me than like I don't know eating jellyfish or whatever. Like (laughs) yeah, jellyfish (laughs) (laughs) terrifying. Yeah, no,
1: I think it's it's always those little moments that you you don't expect to turn out mm. to be like the biggest ones that you
0: remember. I feel like mm. if you turn on the news, um, uh, it's hard to do. Uh, well, no, that's television in here. That's actually wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: Complained and, about it my whole life. And then I ended up sticking with it.
0: <laughs> no, I love that. <laughs> and, and maybe I'm generalizing, but generally if you turn on the news, it seems like the world is just burning down. Um, I've been very fortunate to travel to places in this country that I had a preconceived notion about or expected to be a certain way, expected people to be a certain way. And maybe there's a little bit of truth to some stereotypes and things like that, but I've often found that they're not true and that the world's not burning down and that I can go to places like we opened with and have a conversation with someone and be civil. Were there any places that you traveled to that you thought would be a specific way or you thought people would be a specific way or have a certain lifestyle or attitude that like was completely flipped, uh, that totally changed your perspective of the place when you actually got to go there?
1: Um. Honestly, no, I mean, you always have assumptions of certain areas of mm. maybe what it will be like, but again, I think... I was fortunate because the people that were letting me stay with them were good people. I mean, they were, like, reaching out. They knew what I was doing, mm. you know. It wasn't like I would get to a community and go to a bar and be like, hey, can I, like, stay at your house tonight and crash on your right. couch? Like, I w- <laughs> it was, you were creating a community within a, within strangers, mm. if you will, by putting this out there. And I would I would always, you know, I realized I never answered your question earlier, but um, how I was able to get anything out in the first two years was just constantly, I would post on Facebook and say, I'm heading to this state next if you know anyone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, friends would tag friends of friends of friends. And um, in the, the first, I think, like five or six people I stayed with were um, people that had uh, been like, you know, a coworker's cousin's, you know, f- best friend or like someone's aunt. So like I didn't know the aunt, but I knew the other person. So it was like some kind of mm-hmm. semblance of comfort there. But by the seventh person, they just saw something in their local paper and reached out. Um, and and then ever since then, it was kind of, so whenever I had anyone reach out from local papers, which, you know, gave my dad a lot of stress, um, I would just stay with them because I thought it was so interesting. Like these people like really just like saw an article and got inspired. And it was always like this interesting story, like this man in California who, you know, was usually never had the news on, but he had just had some surgery. And so he had the news on for like two minutes and was walking through the room and saw my interview and was Mm. like, stopped and was like, I want her to talk. He was a photojournalist um, teacher at a high school. And he's like, I want her to come and talk to my kids. And so he like reached out Mm. thinking I wouldn't even reach back out, but obviously people thought I was bigger than I was. That was just me. And so I immediately reached out and said, I would love to come and talk to your school. And so it was... Just these like happenstance moments of like, he never watches this channel or this. And then he happened to like see when I was on there. And so I felt like it was almost supposed to happen when I, all these strangers were actually like almost lined up for me in a weird way, yeah. like before I started the trip. And, um, but yeah, it was very tough. I mean, reaching out to local papers for them, I would say mostly worked. Um, in getting in the papers, but people actually reaching out with stories, it was much more of a challenge. I feel like the majority, some of my best stories definitely came from that because they luckily saw it. But, 80% of it was just me, like, hitting the ground with my boots on and a shovel, digging them up, like, going into coffee shops, being like, do you know anyone in the community? Like, you know, just talking to as many people as I could. Mm. Um, sometimes I'd stay with people and they'd have, like, a dinner party and invite their neighbors over and I would tell my whole story in front of 25 people and, wow. like, present it. And then they'd be like, oh, you know who I just thought of? You got to talk to Shelly. She runs the rescue shelter and, like, blah, 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 or whatever. And um, And so I feel like it was just kind of, like, a constant figuring out of how to get your stories it was never like one specific thing that worked the best um, and it was very exciting for sure when I got to the point where you know I think it was just a small article that was done in Minnesota that got picked up by the Washington Post and then the then the Today Show called and I don't know if they were connected or if it just that someone from the Today Show finally saw my project. But, um, people always say like, how did you get on there? Like, do you have any contacts? Like, oh, you know, this person's right. And I'm like, I have no idea. And no, it doesn't work like that. Like (laughs) it was a miracle to me that they like, you know, found me and then I was able to go on it and it wasn't just like overnight. It was like, I was on the road for two and a half years working my butt off. (laughs) Like, so, um, So yeah, that kind of all just fell into place at the very end of the journey really.
0: Hmm. Does that make you hopeful in the sense that, I guess I was thinking sort of coming into this that like good doesn't really sell. Like if you, again, if you turn on the news or it's like be afraid or here's this conflict or here's these, these two sides of an issue tearing each other apart and like that's what people are constantly tuning into but the fact that your your story has gained momentum and has been featured in multiple states on very large media platforms like that, uh, does that make you more hopeful for <laughs> Maybe. Yeah,
1: I think that it's it's almost like an acceptance thing. Like you have to accept certain things. Like, yes, what leads, bleeds kind mm-hmm. of concept. Um, it's always been like that, you know? And I think there's certain things that like we can try and change in certain ways, but like, you know, if we focus all of our energy on that, we're just going to get depleted Mm. in a second and give up. So I feel like, you know, and it was funny because the first interview I did before I even did this journey was, um, you know, a radio interview in Riverhead. And I remember being so nervous and driving up there. I got there and I like was just terrified, um, to talk about the trip. And it was probably like three weeks before I was about to hit the road. And I said what I was doing and it was a girl my age who was like super into it and like, kindness and loved it and everything. And she was really sweet. And then it was a man who I want to say was probably like 50. And I explained my thing and he literally just laughed. Like I was so thrown off and he was just like, what makes you think anyone is going to like care about this or look at this? Cause, and he said, you know what? Like bleeds is what leads. Like You're trying to share good stories. And, I, and at the time, you know, I probably just stuttered through some kind of explanation. But when I look back on it, it's like, well, in a way, my story did bleed first. You know, I lost mm. my mom and it was the worst. And, you know, then you collect these stories and they're all coming from places that bled. Like whether they lost a child or tragically lost their legs or whatever happened. You know, the the original headline was something really shitty. <laughs> And they turned it into something positive. And shouldn't we be sharing that more? Because everyone's going to have the shitty, bloody moments of their life. And wouldn't it be nice to have some inspiring like, thing to read about how this person actually turned it around to make something positive? I mean, half of the art, or way more than half of the art in the world, is made from like a really dark place of pain. And so it's kind of like our only choice, really, is to make something of what we go through Hmm. and so I feel like with my journey um, I think it's because because it became more interesting like if I just stayed in New York and I got some stories and I kept posting on the Gratitude Project you know, that would have been it it would have never gotten featured, it would have been a nice place where you know my aunt and her friends maybe went to look for something positive but that would have been it so I felt like it was important to for so many reasons, to get out Because I was just like stuck in New York at that moment. Like I feel like I started picking up on so much more of the negativity and the materialism and everything because I was so broken from losing my mom. So I knew I had to leave. Um, And then also just everyone always makes those, you know, the jokes about like, oh, New Jersey, it's like the armpit of America. Or like they make fun of people in Florida or whatever. You know, like everyone has their comments. And I was like, well, I want to go to all these places and show. There's actually good people everywhere. Like it doesn't matter where they where they are living right now or whatever. And um, and so that was kind of what really pushed the trip to travel everywhere. And people would always say, oh, my friend did that. I'm like, your friend went to every state? Or your friend went and stated people's homes and <laughs> listened to their dramas? It's like, no, it's a little different. But um, so, yeah, I feel like it definitely, the journey bloomed into something worth reporting, I guess. But for me, anytime we're sharing these like positive things no matter how small or large scale it becomes, it's, it's putting something out there. And like that, you know, I always think about that guy that got the coffee, like I'll never know him. (laughs) And I wasn't even benefited from his kindness. Mm -hmm. You know, my friend got the coffee, but because that man bought coffee for people that day and then went on with his life and he'll never know my entire life changed and I stopped everything. And I went around the country for three years. Like that was like the catalyst moment. And like, He'll never even know me and he doesn't even know he did that. So like it is important for us to keep doing these small things because you don't know what could be happening bigger out there. Mm. And I like always think, because this is just who I am and I always create a story, but I always used to think like maybe someday, because someone told me they're like, you got to go back to that Starbucks and like look up this guy. And I was like, you know, it was on 54th and 7th. Um, or Broadway, sorry. And I used to work on 7th Avenue and it was just like a block away and I would always go to the Starbucks. So finally a year into my trip when I was home to shoot a wedding, I went into the city and I went to go to it and it was closed and gone. Uh-huh. And I was like, it was like a movie. It was like, it just vanished. Right. And so I was like, oh my goodness, it's a sign. Like it doesn't, cause I was going to be like, it was, you know, around nine o'clock on December 14th, 2012. He bought a bunch of gift cards a $100. Like I was like, they're going to be able to find him. I'm going to track this guy down and thank him and um and it was gone and so i imagine now you know finally once i write my whole book and you know i put it in the hospital waiting room someday he'll be in a hospital waiting room for something happy hopefully his you know child's having a baby or something and um and he's sitting there and he opens this book and he reads the intro and realizes that was him at
0: that, that be amazing. starbucks
1: and so now fast forward, obviously, you know, I'm living in Maine, let's say in a little cabin and I have my adopted children and we're making pancakes and, you know, my husband's starting the fire and all of a sudden, and it's raining and cold. It's right around Christmas and there's a <laughs> knock at the door and I open the door and, and there he is. He's under an umbrella and he's the cutest little old man in the world and he has his little hat on and he's holding my book and he goes... It was me, and oh then fades to black. <laughs> but yeah, I I just like to create these stories. But um, but it is really awesome to think about. Like, he did something, and he'll never know that he like changed my entire life yeah. and created this trip in a way. I mean, obviously, my mom is most of the inspiration. But you know, it it is um, it makes you hopeful to know that there could be little acts going on that you could be involved in that are making huge ripples.
0: Mm. And and I like what you said in there too. About going to the places where, again, like people might have had a preconceived notion about. I feel like food is also the great equalizer. Like when you sit with somebody who's very different from you, but you're enjoying a meal, like there's no way to not like that person.
1: Yeah. 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 That's true. That's a good way to
0: put it. There's a couple of places I'm curious about your experiences uh, on your trip. Alaska is one of them. Um, First of all, I'm imagining you didn't drive there, but (laughs) how you got there, and obviously there's probably a ton of experiences, but maybe some of the things that were most memorable to you there.
1: Yeah, so um, when I was in West Virginia, I had five states left in my trip, and um, Subaru, the vice president of Subaru, reached out to me and offered for me to stay with um, his family and him, and he was like, you could come in. and like meet some of the people and we could look at your car and make sure it's running okay and like we'd really love to like help and blah blah. And um so I, you know, called him back and I was like, I mean, that sounds wonderful. I would I would love to stay with your family. And um looking and having my car looked at was always very welcome on the journey because I was always like a little bit terrified. It's like when you get a bruise and you're like, it's cancer. <laughs> yeah. Anytime the car made a noise, I was like I'm going to break down and I'm in the middle of nowhere by myself. <laughs> A lot of granola bars though. Um, and so I was very um, hesitant at first when I explained it to him. I was like, you know, I would love those things, but I also like have now at this point pride in myself in keeping this journey mostly um well, not mostly, it was all just me. Like mm. it was like very grassroots and and I didn't want to put like a corporate stamp on it in the very last moment. And there are still people that think Subaru sponsored me and all this stuff, which whatever. They didn't, but it it's, you know, because I drive a Subaru and now I'm connected with them. Um, but he was like super understanding of that. And he said, well, we, do, you know, we just want you to come in here. And so I ended up going in... Um, and he thought at first, he's like, I thought you were going to stay at a hotel and come in for 20 minutes and talk to the people. Like, I didn't realize, like, it really was just you. Like, he thought I had people <laughs> that were going to help, like, couldn't make this whole situation happen. I was like, nope, it's just me. And I, like, rolled out of my car half dead into his home. Um, <laughs> and so he, uh, and, you know, of course the timing was amazing. His wife had just gone through some really serious health issues mm-hmm. and almost died. Um, and now she was home and they had a, a daughter at the time that was, eight or nine, I think at the time. And, um, and we totally bonded and she like calls me her big sister now. And it was just like, couldn't have been better timing for their family, for me to connect with them. Like it was just such an awesome experience. And I brought my car in and they looked at it and the engine was about to die. Oh no! (laughs) So they fixed the whole car up. So it was like very lucky (laughs) that I connected with them and they offered to fly me. To um Alaska and Hawaii. Oh, it's amazing. So that was really yeah, I took I took back kindness. Um and so they ended up um when they flew me to Alaska, they said they would connect me with one of the service managers there. Um, and you know, then I could have like a rental car to use. And I was uh-huh. like, that's awesome. So um, unbeknownst to me, the service manager picks me up from the airport and we're and he's in a blue Subaru outback. And, um, we got back and he just handed me the key. It was his car and he just handed me the keys. And I was like, and he's like, so actually we don't have any blue outbacks. Like I tried to figure out how we could like have one in. Cause I know how important it was. Your mom's car was a blue outback. Um, he's like, but we didn't have any available. So you're just going to use my car.
0: Whoa.
1: And like, I didn't <laughs> sign anything, like nothing. He just gave me the keys to his family's car for two weeks and I drove like over a thousand miles around Alaska. So that was like the first, So and it was so much cooler. Cause like, again, like I was connected with them, but it was also such a personal thing mm. with that ma- service manager. And so, um, I yeah, drove all over and then came back and he just dropped me at the airport and off I went, um, I, when I went to Hawaii, it was, they actually like, I mean, they were super nice and great about it. And again, like never really one place I went to three islands. One, I think I signed something, but usually they just like pick me up and then hand me the key. But you know, those ones were white, (laughs) (laughs) but still it was very, it was very, uh, very kind. Um, But in Alaska, I, people always used to ask me like, what was my favorite state of the trip? And again, like, because I wasn't really seeing the state necessarily, I always felt silly answering that. Um, There's definitely states I feel like I'd want to go back to. Um, But I was kind of like all of them in a weird way. Mm -hmm. Like I had a very important experience um, challenging everywhere, but some really great experiences in every state. And so I never used to be able to answer it, but then I went to Alaska and then it was that one. (laughs) I just felt this, I had had been having horrible migraines for the last few months on the road. And I literally stepped off the plane within an hour was fine no headaches the whole trip, huh. and then got back and had headaches again. Um, I, they finally have left now, but it was just very weird. I felt, and I was just as exhausted and stressed and rushing from stop to stop there. I had so many interviews, but I no headaches. Um, and the people there were just so friendly and so aware. Like, I feel like they all, like, read their local papers and, like, listened to their radio stations and, like, knew what was going on. I... That an article had gone out in Anchorage that, you know, they recycled the Washington Post article, I think. And um, and so it was maybe five months before I got there. And I got to the grocery store the second day I was there and was walking through and a woman came up and was like, are you the more good girl? Because I was always wearing my uniform, of course. And so that was such a cool feeling to have. But I was like, wow, they really do read their papers. Um, but everywhere I went, it was just like, everyone knew what was going on, which I felt was the biggest thing in our country right now. We're all in hmm. these bubbles. So- Things feel so dark because we're just at home working and living our lives and watching the news. But in reality, there's all these like amazing things happening outside of our doors that we just don't know about. And it's not their fault that they didn't know, but it was cool to be able to travel around and then expose the people I stayed with to knowing like there's this woman that runs this nonprofit. If you want to help out or whatever, you know, in Alaska, though, they, it's like they all knew. They're like, oh, yeah, my cousin you know works for that nonprofit. Or, oh, yeah, I ran their marathon a couple of months ago. Or it was like nothing I ever told them. They huh. didn't know. And everywhere else, I was constantly filling people in on all the different stories in their community.
0: Wow, I wonder what it is. Maybe because it is sort of something different. Like I experienced that in Hawaii. Like I haven't been to Alaska, but in Hawaii, like it has its own culture. Like obviously they're Americans, um, but there's definitely a different culture there than mainland. So maybe Alaska too, because they're so separated. They they're very separate. Yeah, they have to build their own community really. Yeah. Cause if they've moved there, all their family is back in the
1: lower 48. So it's like they create this different, you know, family of their own there. Mm. But yeah, I just, I really, I mean, I loved everywhere, like I said, but I just had a really great experience there.
0: Oh, very cool. Yeah, I really want to go to Alaska. Yeah, and
1: it's beautiful.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: I recommend um, springtime or fall.
0: <laughs> cool. Um I saw... That there was, well, actually I see it on your wall here too, I think. There was a farm you stayed at that either had alpacas, alpacas. or llamas. Very cool. Um,
1: Therapy alpacas specifically that she would bring into like hospitals or like nursing oh, homes that's and cool. it would like comfort the old people. It was amazing. They're, well, they're like positive animals when you're around them. Mm. If you like sit amongst them, it like it's supposed to like make your mood better.
0: Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> that's cool. Uh, I, so... From saying that, I was curious as to like what the most unique home was that you stayed at, because people live in very different ways in this country. People have access to to different things and different means. Um, so, yeah, I was curious about like if you can recall, like what was the most unique place you stayed at?
1: Um, <laughs> honestly, probably in Brooklyn, um <laughs> which was so funny because my like, I know so many people in the city, but I was like, I have to stick with my theme of staying with strangers. Mm. Um, there was definitely places you would stay in like tiny little apartments and, you know, with an older woman who was a widow and smoked cigarettes and then your stuff would smell like cigarettes for days. Um, or you would stay in like an extremely, really nice house. Um, but it was always usually kind of the middle ground um, of people that let me in, just kind of like, just getting by, had jobs, didn't have too much money, didn't have too little money kind of concept, you mm. know? Um but I stayed in a home in uh, Taylor, Texas that was really cool. And it was, like, from the 1800s, I think. They, oh. um, like, her great-great-grandfather had it. And then, like, she, her great-grandfather had, like, taught her how to um, dance in the little, like, living room. And then her nephew came over one day and she was dancing with him. And I was, like, imagining the stories and, why, and taking these pictures of them dancing. And so there was so much history to the house. And it was just, like, such an amazing um experience to stay there. It's a very long story, but I won't get into it. But honestly, when I was in, um, in Brooklyn in Bed-Stuy, um, I stayed with these two women. One of them was a tattoo artist and they were like the nicest. And we had so much fun. Um, she was French Canadian and she had, I think she had been there in New York for like 25 years at that point. And, um, And she let me stay, so it was, like, an upstairs and a downstairs, and she had the downstairs. And so she let me stay in the downstairs, so I had, like, my own space. I think I was only with them for, like, two or three nights. Um, And she stayed upstairs with her roommate. And and I remember when I was first going down there, the roommate said something like, wait till you see the bathroom. And I was like, what? And she's like, yeah, because she's French-Canadian. She has that accent, so she doesn't really say H's. So uh. instead of saying the bathroom, she says the bat room. Uh. <laughs> so I was like, "Oh, ha ha ha!" Like I just thought they were saying it weird, and I didn't think anything of it. Anyway, then I went into the the, the bat room. <laughs> it was a bat room. It was literally the bathroom was there was taxidermy bats everywhere, pictures Whoa. of bats hanging, glow in the dark bat lights. Like it was like. To me, it was fascinating, but of course I had to take a picture and send it to my friends and they're like, are you kidding? Like you're like two hours from home and this is the one you're going to get murdered in your last house <laughs> before the journey's over. Um, and I did, I definitely made a comment to her <laughs> when we were having dinner one night and I was like joking and I was saying, it was like my last night and we were having some champagne and all talking and having a great time. And I was like, you know, I was like, I got to say, I, I don't even remember how I worded it, but I made some kind of comment about like. You know, if I didn't know you and, like, I just went downstairs and saw your bathroom, like, I would definitely have been really scared or something like that, even though I didn't know her when I first got there. And she was kind of just, like, why? Or, like, it was just, like, so caught off. And she just, like, was just, like, what do you mean? And I was, like, "Uh." and then her roommate was kind of, like, hmm. And I was, like, "What? what? I don't know. It was just, like, it's really cool. And her roommate's, like, yeah, yeah, dig yourself out of this one. But she was, like, genuinely, like not thinking it was different or weird at all. Uh And I was just like, no, it's really cool. And then we just like, you know, whatever. And and obviously it was fine, but it was just so funny because in my head I was like, oh, this is just like a really random thing. No, she was like totally all about it.
0: (laughs) Are you going to have pictures in the the book that's like your book? Like my
1: own private book? Uh, Maybe. So I'm like very – respectful and like protective of all my hosts. So I would um, definitely like probably have to run it by them. And I think there would definitely be, there'll be like, you know, a lot of names changed and stuff like that. Cause I don't want to reveal too much, but yeah, there was definitely moments, like there was another bathroom. I don't even remember. I want to say Oklahoma um, off the top of my head. And it was like, the shower was full of dolls. Like it was just like a decorative shower in the downstairs powder room, but it was like full of like life-size dolls terrified me. Um, so yeah, there's definitely like some moments where you're like, mm, but I was never ever uncomfortable with the people mm. like whatever. They like dolls in their shower. It's not my thing. But, um, but I feel like I never felt like scared or anything like that. So that kind of helped having that peace of mind all the time of, if I'm going to get murdered in this home, whatever, <laughs> I had a great life. Karma's coming for them though. If they kill the girl trying to spread good.
0: <laughs> where are you in the process with those two books?
1: Um. So, I'm only working right now on the, um, I do a lot of like blog, uh, not blogging, but um, I post on my more good um, social media pages, um, little like snippets and stuff and memories. I love those.
0: Yeah. yeah. on I, I read the Instagram ones.
1: Um, yeah. So that's um, been helpful to just like keep writing here and there. But, um, but for the most part, the book, I just submitted the proposal like about a month and a half ago. Um, and so now it's kind of just like that waiting game. Um, with the publishers and I've just been writing as I go. I mean, now that I'm finished with this wedding, I'll be able to focus mostly just on the writing. Um, but yeah, it's, it still feels so far away, but I kind of have made this goal for myself to finish it this year. (laughs) So, um, yeah, it's, it's mostly just, it's hard to relive it because it's kind of like reliving all of it. (laughs) Um, but I think I've gotten to a place now where I'm finally like ready to do it.
0: Are people still sending you stories?
1: No, I mean, randomly people will share stuff like I do on December 14th. I always tell people my sister-in-law like made it a little holiday, more good today day. So, um, so I always ask people, like I always remind them of that story of the coffee guy and just say like in honor of my mom, like if you can do some kind of kindness. So, um, people will send me stories for that, which is really sweet. Um, someone actually did just, I just noticed it. I don't know when she sent it this morning that she's a landlord in the city and I guess the woman had, you know, the kids had had come down with COVID and she missed a bunch of work and was just like really struggling and is a single mom. So she like just took her rent off this month huh. on, on December 14th. Like she said, like next month is off. And she said, in lieu of your mom. Um, so like stuff like that's really cool. But for the most part, yeah, no, I'm just working on the writing.
0: Okay. Do you think far into the future? Like I know you still have your photography business, but do you think... Pass the book, like, are people going to expect you to still be the more good person? Do you then choose another project that you want to do? Or are you just like focusing on the now?
1: Um, Yeah, I think right now it's best for me to just focus on the book. Mm. Um, but I have like 5 million ideas all the time of like, I, I want to stay in this line of work if I, mm. can, you know, financially make that happen. Um, just because I'm, I would like to like be able to maybe settle more into a community and like help the community kind of concept, um, than making it so broad. But um and I also like I'm very into this like the love story aspect too with my with my couples and everything. And so um I always kind of thought about creating like uh, merging the two and, you know, the more good and my wedding stuff and doing something like more love and, you know, collecting these different really interesting stories of couples around the country. Um And just, like, these love stories that you don't hear about, about not just the, like, oh, you know, the beginning of the story, but, like, whatever, again, inspired by that friend that I told you about. But, like, their story is just so interesting and, you know, emotional, but beautiful. And so to, like, get more of those stories out there. Um, But, yeah, right now I think just
0: focus on the book. (laughs) Has anyone reached out to you? Because I could see eventually, like, that your whole story and journey being a movie.
1: Oh yeah, no, I, there was like one person that was talking about, um, they had like a relative that they said, I think works in, in LA and does screenwriting or something. And he was like, I want to connect you with them, but it never happened. But yeah, it would be cool, um, to, to see that because it was just like, there's so much material for it. Um, I used to always joke around and be like, I hope Emmy Rossum plays me. She's my favorite. <laughs> Cause I feel like she just pulls off that like messy, dirty, unshowered look so well on Shameless. <laughs> She's still like so pretty. I'm like, I would like it to be her. Cause when I think about myself on the trip, I'm like, oh my gosh, I just look the same every day with the like Morga t-shirt and jeans and Converses and like my curly hair flying out of the window. And I'm like, uh <laughs> so if it was her, I would <laughs> <Yeah>. like that.
0: <laughs> but yeah. Um we'll we'll tag her when we yeah, put yeah. this out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah, I am. Um, yeah, I mean that would be awesome. But I haven't really thought too much about it.
0: Okay. Well I mean, I hope that happens for you. I could see that happening. Um, i'll I'll ask you one more and then i'll I'll wrap. But I would imagine that after doing this for three years, that it would be hard to return to like <laughs> civilian life right like to to return to like normal life. like what was that transition like for you?
1: Well, when I first got off the road, I actually went back to um, St. John, which is in the Virgin Islands. Mm. And that was initially where I went right after my mom died. Oh. Um, I had a friend that um, was working on a charter boat there and was like, you could just come down here. You could live with me and my roommates and do some hiking and heal and figure yourself out. And I was like, wouldn't that be nice? I had like, four jobs in the city and my apartment with my two best friends and my family was right there and we were all falling apart. And, um, I went back to work a few, um, days after the funeral and I met up with a friend, um, at the time who we had just, I think we met for like happy there's a theme we met for a happy hour. And, um, and she was saying how she had gone on this Tinder date and the guy wasn't calling her back. And how does this always happen to her? And it's so unfair and all the stuff. And I was just sitting there like, I literally like just buried my mom. Like, really? Like, are mm. we talking about this guy that you don't even know and how horrible your life is? But I didn't say that. I just smiled and nodded and said, I'm so sorry for you. And then I went into work the next day and booked a one-way ticket to the Caribbean. I was like, and I'm out. Um, so I, you know, did it so that I gave everyone notice and I didn't leave right away after it. But um but I went down there and it was extremely challenging. Um, you know, I thought I was going be on a beach with a pina colada, but it was not anything like that. Um, but I did find some of my, you know, best friends in the world there and and it was a great experience in the end. But um, when I finished this journey, I thought kind of full circle, I'll go back mm. now and, you know, like maybe I'll get a story from St. John and like the place that like I went to first and all this stuff. And um, you know, like most things that you kind of imagine are going to happen, um, they don't. <laughs> and we hit the pandemic a month into the trip and um, had like a, you know, really toxic relationships and just like, it was just a disaster. Um, uh. So, it, in a weird way, it almost like switched gear. Like, it was like I didn't even have to like acclimate back into anything normal because nothing was normal. Like we were in a pandemic and you were shut in with like just one or two people only. And like, so it was like, even if I had been in a regular life, we all kind of went into like a new life during that time. So, um, but in general, I feel like anytime I would come back from the trip and shoot a few weddings over a weekend or something and then fly back to the car right away, like just to keep my business and wallet alive. Um, it was always really challenging just because it's hard not to like hear the little trivial complaints of things when you hear these other like huge massive stories of what people are going through. Mm. Um, But again, like everyone's going through stuff and that's just the little silly thing they brought up right now, but it's not like they don't have other stuff. And so just kind of having that balance was, like learning how to have that balance was was always a learning lesson um, or a learning curve. But yeah, I think that um, now it's been long enough where I'm kind of mostly settled back in.
0: Yeah, you wrapped that trip at the right time, I think. Because
1: (laughs) Yeah, I was very lucky because um, I don't think, although a woman from New Jersey reached out to me whose husband had been like brutally murdered and she had these kids. Oh my God. Yeah, it was crazy. Um, She's this amazing woman. She runs this organization because she went through that trauma where um, if anything happens in their community and like tragic, like, someone's house burns down or, you know, your husband's brutally murdered, like something like right away, like there's no preparation. Um, They come in right away and like help, like maybe they'll help pay the funeral or maybe they like help put you up in a new house. Like it's just this like, I forget what it's exactly called. Anyway, she started it after the community helped her so much when she went through her tragedy. Um, And she reached out to me, her kids are in college, like two of them are in college now, one's in high school. And she was like, I was just thinking about you today. Like, you know, I had met her a few months before. She's like, are you still on the road? Like, you know, my kids are home, but we do still have, like, a, like, place in the basement, like, a, a little, like, a room downstairs in our basement. Like, if you wanted a place to stay, like, blah, blah, blah. And it was, like, so kind. Like, here we are in a pandemic where, like, no one wants to be around anyone. And she was, like, worrying about me and making sure I had a place to stay and letting me in her home with her family. Like, wow. so, um, so that was really cool. I feel like I was very lucky, though, to get off the road when I did, because just in the nick of time. <laughs>
0: All right, well, where can we uh, send people if they want to learn more, get involved, follow you? All Uh,
1: More Good Today is um, kind of the tag name on Instagram and Facebook. It's just moregoodtoday or um, moregoodtoday.com is the
0: website. Cool, so you know this by now if you're listening, but whatever player that you're using to listen to this in, I'll have direct links to all that stuff. Mary, thank you. Uh, It's been great to meet you and to learn your story and to be able to share your story, so Thanks. Thank you for continuing to share it. Cheers. <laughs> that is a wrap on episode 258 of the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. Thank you so much, Mary, for coming on the podcast and for having me in your home. I always feel so fortunate that so many guests allow me to come into their homes or their workspaces or their place of work. Uh, a lot of often like private and intimate places and my guests are often hospitable and they feel comfortable having me there and I'm, I'm always really uh, humbled by that and I feel very fortunate so thank you Mary and thank you Voyagers thanks all of you for tuning in as always I've got some more cool stuff coming your way so please stay tuned give it a like a follow a subscribe on all the platforms and things like that and now I'm going to sign off and I will say please 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 take care of each other and I will catch you all very very soon